Welcome to Nomadicate, a podcast all about exploring how different cultures, things, ideas, and even people shape and define our lives and our world. You're listening to your host, Katie DeVille, and today we're going to be talking about creativity. What exactly is it? How do different cultures value it? Why do we need it? And are humans becoming more or less creative in a society that is becoming slowly dominated by artificial intelligence? Thanks for dropping in to Nomadicate, and thanks for choosing to be a global citizen. Let's dive in. So, what is even creativity? Well, to me as an artist living in Los Angeles, California, my world revolves around this abstract yet exciting concept. As a singer-songwriter and former actress, my inner life is lively. My imagination comes up with new ideas for melodies and lyrics, and back in my acting days, I would get gleefully lost in the unknown worlds of my characters, the worlds that I created for them. Creativity to me is the proper use of imagination. It's the ability to open up our minds and our spirits enough so that new ideas can occur without too much effort. Creativity is allowing our imaginations to step into the unknown and to birth a new idea. Then it's our job as individuals to nurture that idea into a cohesive concept or thing. But what do the professionals have to say about it? Well, according to Richard Foster, a creativity specialist, lecturer at the Yale School of Management, as well as a former director of McKinsey & Company, creativity is not simply just about creating things, and it's not the same as problem-solving, innovation, and discovery. In a video hosted by the Yale School of Management called Professor Richard Foster on Creativity, which, in my opinion, is probably the least creative name that you could come up with for a video about creativity, but anyway... Professor Foster says that creativity is not only about producing new and useful insight through imaginative skills, but it's about association. And what does he mean by that? He means that in order to be truly considered creative, we have to be good at associating things that haven't been associated before. To put this into perspective, let's think about hmm, animation and just how revolutionary it once was. Take Phantasmagory or as the French would pronounce it, Phantasmagorie, or something like that. Phantasmagorie is considered by many to be the world's first fully traditionally animated cartoon, being produced in 1908 by a Frenchman named Emile Cole. Cole took 700 hand drawings and photographed them, using negative film to create a chalkboard-like effect. Yes, yes, I too am surprised Walt Disney wasn't the first to make the world's first animation. And it's important to note that the building blocks of animation were well into progress by the time Cole produced Phantasmagory. Artists had already been using sketches and visual effects to create the illusion of movement. And in 1906, James Stewart Blackton even produced an animation called Humorous Phases of Funny Faces. This film was a little different from Cole's because it used a series of hand drawings, as well as stop motion and cutout techniques which are basically when objects and flat materials are moved around to create the illusion of movement. It was recorded using standard picture film rather than negative film. But the reason why I find Cole to be such a great example of creativity is that he successfully connected two previously unrelated fields, traditional hand drawings and motion pictures, 
Through his work, he greatly influenced modern animation, even inspiring Walt Disney himself. So, if creativity is partially about connecting different things from across different fields, it's safe to imagine that having new experiences might make us more creative. And now that I'm thinking about it, I've already learned this from one of my acting classes here in LA. My teachers always told me, in order to become a great actress, really a great artist, I needed to expose myself to the world. Go to museums, see movies, travel, volunteer, learn. Basically, get different life experiences that fuel your imagination. Then step back and watch your creativity take off. This is what I've learned, and it's been true for me. Even with my music, I've noticed how different life experiences have boosted my creativity and inspired my best songs. For example, when I was in college, studying abroad in 2019, I solo traveled to eight different countries. For people who don't know me, I will never shut up about this because it was literally the coolest thing I've ever done. But anyway, now in 2023, more than half of my songs are about travel, exploration, and freedom. And as I continue to write music, I see how it's just about associating my life experiences to the melodies that I come up with. Before we move on to the next section, I wanted to bring up Professor Foster's idea on how creativity is different from problem-solving, innovation, and discovery. Professor Foster states that while problem-solving finds conventional solutions, creativity comes up with novel solutions. While innovation is about applying new ideas, creativity produces new ideas. And while discovery is about finding something new, creativity makes something new. I thought this was interesting because before researching this episode, I thought they were all the same. And Professor Foster's definition of creativity is, you know, just one of many. But there is some degree of consensus that creativity is a mixture of producing something original and useful. And novelty and utility become very interesting factors when we start looking at how different cultures value creativity. So, where does culture come into play? Well, creativity is a shared human experience, and it can be found in every corner of the world. However, different cultures don't necessarily conceptualize creativity the same way, and this has a lot to do with societal structures and even religion. Let's take a look at the Global East and the Global West. In the 2019 article, How Does Culture Shape Creativity? A mini-review, the authors talk about how some Asian countries, such as China, Japan, and Korea, and some Western countries, think of the United States, Italy, and France, for example, have differing implicit theories of creativity. By implicit theories, the authors are referring to ordinary folks' perceptions of the subject rather than strictly looking at explicit theories, where conclusions are directly derived by domain professionals or data. The article then discusses how collectivism and individualism affect how the East and the West value creativity. According to the authors, a 2000 report by Elizabeth Rudovich and Yao Dong Waiyui showed survey results from Chinese students from the regions of Beijing, Taipei, and Guangzhou, and Hong Kong, which on a side note is controversially a part of China, due to its distinct history and government structure. 
but that's another episode. And my sincere apologies to the conductors of this study for butchering their names. I don't know how to pronounce them, but I tried my best. Anyway, this survey showed that students associated a creative individual with characteristics such as thinking, innovativeness, originality, observational skills, self-confidence, flexibility, a willingness to try, and imagination. There were some regional differences, excluding the Taipei sample, where wisdom, assertiveness, and individuality were also considered core characteristics of a creative person. Rudovich and Yue also surveyed 489 Chinese students on the most creative people in modern times. And the results showed that participants considered others more creative when, in theory, their creativity contributed to society or had the ability to influence others, makes contributions, inspires others, is appreciated by others, were also key words linked to what makes a person creative. And these characteristics were exclusively found in the Chinese survey when compared to Western notions. Now, let's take a look at the West implicit conceptions of creativity. In Western studies, keywords such as nonconformist, individualistic, independent, daring, open-minded, sense of humor, intelligence, were some of the key words often used to describe a creative person, according to the authors. In the study, artistic and sense of humor were exclusive to the Western notions of creativity when compared to the Eastern notions. The authors argue that Eastern creativity is founded more upon the rediscovery or reinterpretation of tradition, and it's valued more when a person can morally or socially contribute to society. The West, on the other hand, is based more on attaining personal success, problem-solving through insight, and defying tradition. This likely has to do with collectivism and individualism. Eastern countries tend to be more collective. Collectivism basically means that the interests of a group are more important than the individual ones. And the authors argue that it has trace origins rooted in Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism. As a whole, fitting in is more important than standing out. Individualism, on the other hand, is the opposite. In this structure, the individual's interests are prioritized more over the group's interest, and it's a distinctive feature in Western culture, having foundations in Judaism and Christianity. In sum, the authors conclude that collectivist cultures tend to value the process of creativity more when its utility is being considered. In Eastern cultures, the purpose of the thing or idea tends to be more important than novelty. Whereas in Western or individualistic cultures, it's the opposite. However, I talked to one of my Chinese friends about this, and he said that China really values creativity for the purpose of novelty. And there's quite a lot of investment into museums and art. I thought this was interesting because it didn't exactly line up with the study. It's important to remember that these studies may only represent a fraction of people's perceptions, and it doesn't nearly encompass all of the cultural complexities of the East and the West. And it's also important to note that culture, values, and preferences change over time. So, as of 2023, we could already be seeing shifts about why people value creativity. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, 
so drop me some comments through my website, which is linked in my bio. So, on to the next section. Why do we need creativity? Well, it's basically the driving force of society. Without creativity, our ancestors wouldn't have been able to outsmart predators, make tools, envision and implement farming strategies that literally enabled society as we know it to form and develop. And I mean, just take a look at the Industrial Revolution and the invention of the spinning jenny, telegraph communications, or the photograph. Man, we wouldn't even have Instagram. But with a grain of salt, society has progressed through happy little accidents, or so-called random discoveries that had nothing to do with creativity. But progress as a whole is driven by creativity. I like Edward de Bono's quote about it. He said there is no doubt creativity is the most important human resource of all. Without creativity, there would be no progress, and we would be forever repeating the same patterns. De Bono was an inventor, psychologist, and physician. But I find it interesting how creativity is such an innate part of us as human beings and such a critical part of our societal development, but oftentimes we try to shut it down. Maybe we undervalue our own ideas or we're in an environment where our creativity isn't understood or nurtured. But the thing is, when we ignore our own creativity, we're actually repressing a part of ourselves that I believe is a primal part of who we are as human beings. And it can make us miserable. So the question is, does creativity inspire happiness? Many studies show that creativity positively affects our mental health. But the correlation between creativity and happiness is a little unclear. It's difficult to say whether creativity makes us happier or if happiness makes us more creative. However, a 2016 survey does imply that creativity can boost overall happiness and fulfillment. In the article, Doing Something Creative Can Boost Your Well-Being, Jill's study summarizes the survey, conducted by a New Zealand researcher, Tamlin Connor, and two American researchers. Over the course of 13 days, 650 young adults wrote about their daily creative pursuits, their positive and negative emotions, as well as their sense of engagement, meaning, purpose, and social engagement. The last bit, this sense of well-being, as us ordinary folks would call it, was called flourishing by researchers. After analyzing the results, the researchers found that people who did more creative endeavors on a certain day had more flourishing or positive emotions the following day. The negative emotions remained constant. But the study concluded that being more creative has a strong and positive impact on us, making us feel more energetic, enthusiastic, and excited. All I know is that when I'm being creative, I'm my most motivated, inspired, and happiest self. So now that we have an understanding about the definition of creativity, how culture and creativity interact, and how creativity affects our well-being, how is the rise of artificial intelligence impacting our creativity as a species? Well, AI has been incorporated into the mainstream. Not long ago, AI seemed like a distant reality to me. Having something to do with futurism, space, and highly sophisticated robots that could be like my personal assistant, fetching me lattes or chips and dip. I don't know, it just seemed really far out. But it's actually here, and it's only the beginning. We use it when we check our emails, watch streaming services such as Netflix, 
make a Google search, or use Face ID recognition. It's a part of our everyday lives, whether we realize it or not. And now we're starting to see AI in creative fields, such as art and music. So, what is even artificial intelligence? According to the article, What is AI?, published on Tech Target's website, AI systems obtain copious amounts of training data, look at patterns and correlations in the data, and then make future predictions based on patterns analyzed. As a whole, AI systems are centered around the cognitive skills of learning, reasoning, and self-correction, which mimics human intelligence. According to my knowledge, based on my research, there are four main types of artificial intelligence, but AI can be roughly split into two main divisions, weak AI and strong AI. Weak AI is programmed and trained to fulfill a specific task. Think virtual assistants, such as Siri. And strong AI is designed to mimic human cognitive skills. The article explains that strong AI can use knowledge across domains to independently find a solution to unfamiliar tasks. Think of self-driving cars. Aside from that, the four main types of AI include reactive machines, limited memory, theory of mind, and self-awareness. Reactive machines are designed for a specific task and don't have memory. Limited memory AI has memory as implied and uses past experiences to influence future decision-making. However, the most provocative and captivating types of AI have to be theory of mind and self-awareness. Theory of mind is currently under development and research, but eventually, it'll be able to comprehend human emotion, giving it the social intelligence to work in human teams. Theory of mind will be able to analyze human intentions and then make behavior predictions. Self-awareness AI doesn't exist according to experts, despite Google's engineer Blake Lamone saying that a company AI system has achieved the ability to feel. This system, theoretically, has a sense of self and is conscious. Spooky or cool, you decide. But to the artistic community, AI is a hot topic of debate. Some are fascinated and excited by the possibilities that it offers, but others are terrified that AI will become so developed, it'll eventually replace the need for the human artist. Let's take a look at how it's being used in art and music. We've all seen the new Instagram trend for AI self-portraits, but AI art is even being appreciated and sold on a fine arts level. Depicting a distorted face, the portrait of Bellamy sold for $432,000 at Christie's auction house. According to Ahmed El-Gamal's article, AI is blurring the definition of artist. Some artists are creating algorithms so that the AI can analyze thousands of pre-established images, learn their aesthetic, and then produce new images based on the aesthetic it's learned. It's then up to humans to pick which image they deem the most pleasing or interesting. AI music is produced in a similar way. According to Thomas Ling, in his article, AI is about to shake up music forever, neural networks similar to the human brain are fed massive music inputs, learning patterns. These neural networks can also be called algorithms, but according to Ling, they're growing 
and it's becoming more difficult to understand how the AI is making music. One highly developed music composition system is called AVA. AVA is an electronic composer, and it's even recognized by the Society of Authors, Composers, and Publishers of Music. AVA has released various albums, but it's well known for Among the Stars and Genesis. In a 2018 TED Talk, How AI Could Compose a Personalized Soundtrack to Your Life, Pierre Brault, AVA CEO and co-founder, talks about how it works and its future in creating music. He explains that AVA has learned music composition by analyzing 300,000 scores of history's most renowned musical pieces. Think Beethoven and all of the classics. He claims that AVA is able to respond to a set of requirements that will allow the system to create personalized, continuous soundtracks based on personalities and moods. He uses the example of video games. Usually, video games repeatedly loop around two hours worth of music to play over hundreds of hours of game playing. However, with Ava, his aim is to help produce hundreds of hours worth of continuous personalized music, which human creativity could not previously achieve. But eventually, this won't just be limited to video games. His aim is to scale this on a personal level, where we can have playlists that reflect our life stories, preferences, and moods. But it's understandable artists are fearful that AI will eventually take over our jobs. According to a McKinsey report, AI is expected to replace 3 to 14% of the global workforce by 2030, which accounts for roughly 75 to 375 million jobs. This isn't that far away. And while AI won't replace artists immediately, the real concern is that artists will lose all recognition and agency to AI in the long run as it develops. Eventually, AI art will become so easily accessible, so cost and time efficient, that it's going to be hard for consumers and producers to resist. Why hire a human artist to paint a portrait when AI can do it cheaply and efficiently? We live in a fast paced world, and people are always searching for the most affordable and efficient option. And there's the question of copyright. How do we protect living artists from AI? If AI art is derived from analyzing art that real humans created, should those human artists be compensated or credited? But whether or not artists will lose their jobs to AI technically wasn't my question. I asked if AI was making us more creative as a species. And according to a Forbes article, How AI Will Augment Human Creativity, Fallon Fatemi argues that it just might. Fatemi states that AI will take over mentally taxing responsibilities that typically hinder creativity. When we're focused on crunching data, we're losing time to focus on creative pursuits. And it deactivates the part of the brain which promotes creativity. She references a study published in Psychological Science. According to the study, people with low cognitive loads tended to be more creative, whereas people with high cognitive loads tended to be less creative. When our mental taxation is high, we're less likely to seek out novelty in general. In my opinion, AI is the future. Just how the internet was inevitable and changed our lives, AI will be an unstoppable force. That changes how we function as a society. 
As artists, we'll need to learn how to use AI as a tool, rather than fighting it off. We're in a constant state of change, and if we don't find smart ways to use AI in our favor, we'll be one of the many to be absolutely obliterated by it, despite it freeing up our mind to be more creative on a personal level. Perhaps legal protection will need to be established to limit the negative impact of AI on human artists. While creativity is difficult to define, we can't deny that it's a universal human experience affecting our societal development and personal well-being. AI is here to stay, and it's only getting more developed. So it's important to have open discussions about it so we won't be totally blindsided when it swings into full effect. Well, that concludes our first episode. Again, you're listening to Nomadicate, and I'm your host, Katie Devell. Thank you for joining me today. And subscribe if you want to take your global citizenship to the next level and learn even more about our beautiful big world and some of the things and people that influence it. Thanks for being a global citizen, and thanks for tuning in. Bye for now, and remember to stay curious.